Hello everyone and welcome to the sixth episode of our podcast, Pieces of Wisdom. Today we're interviewing the one and only Matthew Dixon, independent candidate for the Dubbo electorate. Finn and I are so excited to talk to you today. First off, where were you born? I was born here in Dubbo, Dubbo Base Hospital, as it used to be called way back when I was born, but I was born here in Dubbo, actually the fourth generation in Dubbo in this area. We go right back to my great-grandfather who moved to, it used to be called Ironbark back in the 1850s. It's now called Stewarttown, but he first settled there, and then my family's been in around Stewarttown, Yamundry, Dubbo area for those four generations. Tell us about your childhood. I had a, a really great childhood, I thought. Uh, well, when I look back at it, certainly still think it's a great childhood. I was the youngest of eight children, and the youngest in any family, everyone knows, always gets spoiled rotten. So <laughs> theoretically, I was spoiled rotten. I didn't think so at the time, but the rest of my siblings always used to tell me and still tell me today that I was spoiled rotten. And we grew up here in Dubbo. We, we grew up down in South Dubbo. And it was one of those families that really encouraged people to do whatever they wanted to do. So if you want to have a go at something, the family encouraged you. I had, as I said, seven big brothers and sisters that I could rely on to help me out with things. Mum and Dad were very supportive. We didn't have much money, and with eight kids in the family, you can imagine there probably wasn't a lot of money there. But we we just really had a go at things, and we did lots of things, and a lot of hands-on things. My dad was a builder, so I used to try and work with Dad and help Dad out as much as I could. I don't know if I was a hindrance or a help to Dad. Uh, I actually had three of my fingers chopped off, you know, with a power saw one day helping Dad when, uh, when again, more of a hindrance than a help, I think, in terms of helping on building projects. But it was a really good process to just be involved and get hands on and dad being an old bushy and an old builder you just fix things if things didn't work you just fix them and that was one of the things that I I really learned as I grew up you just work on outcomes you work on getting things fixed I think that childhood and and seeing how much the family gave to the community as well my dad was president of the local greyhound club for many years my mum was always involved in canteens and pnf so I think all of that grounding helped me later on in life to realise it was really important to give back to a community. Tell us about your childhood. There's probably a whole range of things that happened that all make a little difference. But probably one thing I really remember from Dad, and again, Dad was a small businessman because it was his own building company, and he didn't have a huge amount of money. And, And I used to talk to him about that sometimes, and he did say to me that, in his opinion, some businesses made lots of money because they weren't that ethical or didn't really deal with people in a a moral way and one thing that he said to me was that you can be a really rich business person and not really do things in an ethical way but you've still got to live with yourself you've still got to be able to accept that you are who you are and really live with the actions and the decisions that you've made so in his opinion it was more important to do the right thing and i think he used to do a few jobs for some people that were struggling themselves for free And so, again, he didn't have a lot of money that was coming in because I think he used to take that approach that it was more important to do things in an ethical way, more important to do things the right way, and money was a secondary component of that. And so from my perspective, I grew up always with that idea in my mind that you did things the right way. You you needed to make sure the ethics of anything you were doing, the morals of anything you were doing, and the honesty was always the highest priority. And from a business perspective, making money would come secondary to that. And so that probably had a major impact in the way I approached everything during my schooling years, everything after that time, and and everything through till now, where it's always about do it the right way, 
don't do it the way where you're trying to get a false outcome. Do you think that your experiences as a child had an influence on you becoming a regional leader? Oh, absolutely. You, I think anyone's experience as a child has a huge impact on their life going forward. It, it really is what shapes you. Almost what you learn in kindergarten is how you'll be later on in life. And in terms of that overall process, I think just watching how my dad, watching how my, my mum interacted in different parts of the community, but also watching big brothers and sisters. I had all those seven to look up to that I could see what they were doing and see the way they were involved in things. And they were involved in the community in different ways and, and they were all older than me, so they were at different stages of their life. But certainly it, it came down to the fact that in our case, family came first and then community came. And it was all about making sure you did things for the right reasons and did things in the right way. And so I, I think that growing up in that process and in that environment definitely, without a doubt, had a huge influence on the way I was going to be when I became a, a regional leader. And, I, and I, from a leadership perspective, I don't think leadership is about a position. And I've talked about this a lot before, that having the title of mayor, for example, supposedly makes you a leader. But you can have the title of mayor and not be a leader, and you can have no title at all and be a fantastic leader. I think leadership is in your actions. Leadership is not in your title. What was it like to be mayor? It certainly was an exciting process to be mayor of a regional city as large and diverse and as progressive as Dubbo. It was never about being mayor from my perspective. I never had any dreams of being mayor. I thought I could make a difference. And when I first stood for council, way back in 2003, I made the decision to stand for council. And it was all about, from my perspective, it was all about, I think I can make a positive difference in this community. So I went about that and stood for council and I was lucky enough to be elected for council and then served a couple of terms on council. And then I got to the stage where I had the opportunity to become mayor and, and I sold one of my major businesses, so I retired. And then I, I put my hand up and again, it was never about the title of mayor, it was never about I get to wear fancy chains. It was always about can I make a difference in this community? And I think I did make a difference. It's easy for me to look back at it and say, wow, I did a fantastic job as mayor, but obviously what's more important is what other people in the community say. So the process of being mayor, I think, exciting, challenging, there's no doubt about that at all. A lot of hours I would put on average probably 70 hours a week into the role as mayor. I, I believe that it needed to have someone as a full-time mayor so I really focus on doing that and, and doing that to the best of my ability. But it was always about delivering outcomes. It was never about, I'm mayor, wow, that's fantastic, full stop. It's, I'm mayor, now I can do things and achieve things in the community because of that. What was your vision for Dubbo? Has that changed? The vision for Dubbo is that we have an absolutely unbelievable regional city. And that's one of the really important things. We're not a country town. We're a regional city. We were made a city back in 1966. So we have been a city for over 50 years. And as a city, we've got all these benefits and all these attributes that are fantastic for people from the outside to see. People in Sydney still think if you live in Dubbo, you've got dirt down the main street, tumbleweeds rolling along. I'm sure they think that there's people walking down the main street with six shooters on their hips as if we're some Western sort of hick town. But we have a modern progressive city. And, and certainly my vision as mayor and my vision still today is that we need to keep growing this regional city with all these fantastic attributes, but many problems in the state can be solved by regional cities such as Dubbo. 
one of the things that I was lucky enough to do while I was mayor was be the chairperson of Evo Cities. Now, Evo Cities has got seven cities, seven inland cities in New South Wales that all contribute to that. And it's a marketing program to market those seven cities into Sydney. And once you start to educate people in Sydney and start to break down the ignorance that sometimes exists with people in Sydney, and they realise that inland we have all these fantastic cities, the growth in those cities can continue to grow. And, and I really believe that people in Dubbo and in regional cities should have and can have the same facilities as people in Sydney. And at the moment, there's probably a mindset that says we don't do that, and there's probably some government decisions that don't contribute enough dollars to regional cities to be able to deliver that. But my vision is still the same. We have a fantastic product here in Dubbo. We can keep expanding that and keep bringing more people and expanding on the facilities that we already have. What were some of your strategies that you used to get people to vote for you? I never really had strategies to get people to vote for me. I'm a firm believer that you don't focus on the wrong things. If my only focus was to get people to vote for me, I'd be losing focus on what I was meant to be doing. As a councillor, what I was meant to be doing was progressing Dubbo. As a mayor, I was meant to be promoting and progressing Dubbo. And my firm belief is if you do that to the best of your ability, and if you do that really well, when it comes time to actually have a vote, when you have a council election every four years, people will naturally vote for you because of the good work that you've done. So it was never about focusing on, please vote for me. It was always about, let's focus on delivering outcomes, delivering great outcomes, doing a fantastic job, and then the election will take care of itself. So I, I don't have specific strategies around voting for me. I have specific strategies around promoting a community. What were some challenges you faced in your time on council? The, the number one challenge, without any shadow of a doubt, was the community perception of councillors related to our focus on the community versus the focus on some infighting. And we had a community needs survey done before I became mayor. And in the community, the general acceptance in terms of how comfortable are you with our group of councillors, how satisfied are you with the level of the job they're doing, was at 39%. And so that was a huge challenge for me. When I became mayor, it meant that out of every 10 people you saw, six of those people weren't satisfied the job of the job that you were doing as a councillor. So the first challenge was we need to create a better perception and we also need to stop some of that, those arguments or some of the infighting that occurred in council and make sure all councils were focused externally on what we wanted for Dubbo. By the time we had the next community needs survey, so after six months as mayor, we had our next community needs survey, that 39% had jumped to 69%. So the strategies that I employed were absolutely vital. And probably the first strategy after trying to get the councillors to communicate more with each other and, and talk rather than fighting with each other was all about communication. Communicate internally with councillors, with council staff, about what we were doing, but more importantly, communicate externally with the community to make sure the community were aware of what we were doing, make sure the community knew what was happening at council, make sure things were transparent, and that reflected in that community needs survey where people were more satisfied with what we were doing. And I don't think we were necessarily changing dramatically what we were doing, but we were changing that infighting and we were also changing the transparency and the communication process with the residents of Dubbo. So it was a big challenge, but one that I knew we had to, to take on head on, otherwise council would never be able to focus on getting better projects for Dubbo. It was always going to be about the infighting and the, and the arguments internally.
own a local business? It's a very rewarding and also challenging process owning a business. When you create something from scratch, you've got all this responsibility about getting it going. You've got all these things you're doing that you, you really have to learn as you go. And the quicker you can get up to speed with all those things, the, the better the business will be. And there's so many things when you, when you don't own a business, you haven't started a business, there's a whole range of things that you're involved with that you don't realise are needed. I started my first business back when I was 12 years of age, when I was in year seven at school. I came up with an idea and, and I thought I could basically run a small business from school, which worked quite well, and, and that went all the way through school and then when I was at university. And then when I came back, I was 21 years of age and I started what I call my first real business. The, the one I started at school was probably a, a very much a micro business, but through all the regulations and the legislation and the things you had to understand to be able to run that business properly. So that, that's a real challenge. But in actually running that and employing people and creating things, it's very rewarding to sit back and look at a business that you've run, that you've created from nothing, and, and look at what it's doing and how it serves people in the community. So it's not easy starting a small business, it's not easy running a small business, but it's certainly very rewarding if you can get it right. What challenges or rewards are involved in the local business community? Well, certainly the rewards are there that you feel like you're servicing a part of the community that may not be serviced by another local business or may not be serviced as well by another local business. So that it's very rewarding having a local business and, and you do feel like you're very much part of the community. You feel like you're contributing to the community. And again, it's not about winning awards, but when you do win awards, we were lucky enough to win the Gold Rhino Award 18 years ago. So that's the, the best business at the Dubbo Chamber of Commerce Local Awards, a great awards ceremony they have. And we've won another, a number of Silver Rhino Awards, in, in fact, including one just this year, a couple of months ago, we won one there. So all of that gives you a feeling of achievement, gives you a feeling that you're making a difference. In terms of the challenge, there are some significant legal, legislative challenges that you have. I've started over the years six different businesses, and the, the challenges for all of those have been different because what's needed in each of those, the legislation, et cetera, is different for all those businesses. And, and then you've got the challenges about delivering a product that's different to other products in the market, delivering a better product, working in a competitive environment, employing staff at one stage, one of my businesses had 30 staff and managing that many people. And, and when you, you sit back and think about how many people you're having an impact on, we, we stood around at a Christmas party one year and we looked at all of our staff and all their partners and their kids came along and we sat back and there were about 70 or 80 people that were being impacted by the business that I was running. And, and you sort of sat back and looked at that and said, it's, it's a real challenge to make sure you, you're doing the right thing by all those people, but also a lot of pressure to make sure that you're able to pay wages each week and you're able to keep the business running. I wouldn't have wanted to be in charge of a business that couldn't pay those wages or, or went broke and couldn't actually support all those people. So again, no doubt about it, very challenging, but you need to do, as with anything in life, you need to attack it with full gusto, you need to attack it with enthusiasm, and those challenges that are there, you'll get past those challenges a lot of the times with enthusiasm, with passion, will get you past some of those challenges and then the rewards are there. What tips can you give a young entrepreneur? The, the, the number one tip that I would give any young person wanting to, to be in business is all about passion, follow your passion. I did actually bring along one of my books and uh, this is, I've written three books and this is my most successful of the three books. 
So I brought that one, which has got 52 tips of being in small business and different things there. So I'll let you read those separately. But the number one thing is if you don't have a passion for that business, if you don't have enthusiasm, if you don't think that I can make a difference with this, if you're doing it just going through the motions and more or less turning up and doing what you think you need to do, the minimum you need to think to do, you need to think you need to do, then you won't be a huge success in the business. You can still be successful without having that passion, but not really fulfilling the potential that's there. And I think that's the main thing is just make sure whatever you're doing, and it doesn't have to be in business, whatever you're doing in life, have a passion for it, have a, a real desire to make a difference. Great, great leaders, great business people don't set out to be great leaders or great business people. They just want to make a difference. And if you can make a difference in whatever you're doing, the other things will follow up after that. What do you think our regional strengths are? Certainly our regional strength from a, a specific Dubbo focus is all about the facilities that we've got here. We're a, a thriving regional city. We've got a great theatre. We've got movie theatres. We've got great cafes. We've got great restaurants. We've got great schools in Dubbo. I'm, I'm sitting in one of those great schools in Dubbo. So we've got a, a huge number of strengths here in Dubbo specifically. Then when you go broader out to the region, different parts of the region have different strengths. So, for example, if you look at Mudgee, there's a great tourism scene and certainly a, a cafe restaurant type scene in Mudgee. They've got great employment from the coal mines nearby. And even though coal mines, people might be questioning the future of coal mines at the moment, there's a lot of money being injected. 15% of the employment in Mudgee is directly from the coal mines. You go to Golgong, they've got some great tourism. They've got the Holtman Collection, which is a fantastic collection from the old gold rush days of the 1860s, 1870s. And so the tourism, the, the number of tourists that go through Golgong is incredible for somewhere that is, is a fairly small location. When you go to Wellington, you've got this beautiful river and beautiful hills there. So the scenery around Wellington, huge potential there again, the Wellington Caves, Barrington Dam. Then you go further west in the electorate, you go to places like Narromine and Trengi, great farming communities out there, but also very strong communities. And I was out in Trengi recently when they opened up a respite centre. And that respite centre had been built with fundraising from the local community, a significant amount of money that had been raised from the local community. The federal government also put some money in, but that was insignificant compared to the amount of money raised by the community. So all of these areas around this electorate have some great attributes. And, and again, I think what we really need is just more population brought out here and some more money spent on infrastructure, whether that be in roads, whether that be in some of the facilities that we have out here. I think there is a role for government to play to spend more money out here, but that will bring people out in this, into this region as well. But we've already got some great natural attributes out here. And I've only mentioned just the six main towns and city in the electorate. There's 131 localities across the electorate and they've all got something wonderful to offer and people have chosen to live in those different localities in the electorate for a range of good reasons. But people want to be here. People love living here. And I think we can attract more people out of this area. What are the key steps to regional growth? Number one key step is really making sure you've got the facilities there. But very close to that is making sure you tell people you've got the facilities there. So, again, if I pick on Dubbo as an example, we've got some great facilities. We've got TAFE, we've got university, we've got the cafes, the theatre, the whole range of facilities we have here. But people in Sydney often don't know about that. So it is really important to make sure we communicate the message about what we have. If we want regional growth, we need to make sure the infrastructure is there. We need to make sure the transport links are there. We need to make sure the roads are in good condition, but we also need to tell people about it. I think that's probably one of the great failings. If I go back and mention 
the Evo Cities I mentioned earlier, where I was chairman of Evo Cities, the councils, the seven councils in Evo Cities, all put in approximately $80,000 a year each. That's gone up over the years. The federal government put in, in the early days, over a million dollars to get Evo Cities started. The state government used to put money in, a small amount of money in, but they don't put any money in now. So the, the state government, in terms of promoting regional growth, are putting zero dollars into the best marketing program we've ever seen to try and promote regional areas. Regional Development Australia, Irana, is our RDA. There's a number of RDAs around Australia. Again, the state government in New South Wales has just pulled back any funding from RDA from January this year. So RDA is only funded by the federal government. We really need that funding to be promoted from the state government as well to allow them to do a better job in promoting the region. There's another organisation I used to sit on the board of called Regional Capitals Australia. And they talk about the 50 capitals across Australia as being every bit as big and as important as, say, a Sydney or a Melbourne, and the population is very similar. But the amount of money given to those 50 capitals in totality is significantly less than the amount of money given to a Sydney or to a Melbourne. And again, it's one of those things that that group, that lobby group, pushes the message, but the government doesn't really listen to it because I think sometimes governments get focused on the big areas, the, the Sydneys, the Melbournes, and they forget about some of the areas that can be very effective in that regional growth. And, and I think it is being ignored. So make sure we've got the infrastructure, make sure we get the government spend from infrastructure, but making sure we tell people about it is absolutely critical. Why did you decide to be part of the election in the first place? It was really about a belief that I could represent this area better than we had been represented in the past. And if I go way back to my decision in 2003 to stand for council, again, I never had this long-term desire to be a councillor. I was very busy in my businesses. I was busy raising my children. I've got four children that I've raised here in Dubbo. So I was busy with life, but I sat back and looked at it and I thought, I just can't believe that we can't do a better job on council. And I could sit back and complain about it all day long. Or I could say, you can complain about it, or you can say, I can be part of the solution. So I put my hand up believing that I could do a better job than some of the councillors that we had there at the time and thought I could make a contribution. Hopefully I did over the 12 years that I was on council and, and again, the same with mayor. Hopefully I made that contribution in my time as mayor. So the state government is exactly the same. I, I never had this burning desire to be a state government member of parliament. But I sat back and thought about it. And after I wasn't mayor anymore on the 12th of May, 2016, the amalgamation occurred. So that meant that I was no longer mayor and the council no longer existed in its old form. So I had some time to think about it. And it really came down to me believing that I could do a better job in representing this electorate. I think that's really important. Representation is what the Westminster system of democracy is all about. You have someone elected from your area that represents that area. And I think the parties are too strong in the representation they give. So the party seems to come before the electorate. And I think that needs to be reversed. I think the electorate needs to come first. So I thought I could do a better job in representing the electorate. So I put my hand up and said, I'm going to make a commitment. And it wasn't a light decision. I made my announcement in May this year. The election's not till March next year. That's 10 months. What I've been doing full time in that time so far, and what I'll keep doing full time until the 23rd of March, is campaigning for this electorate. I'm putting my own money into it. I'm taking no donations from people. So it's, it's costing me a lot of money and it's costing me a lot of time. But I truly believe that this electorate deserves and needs better representation. And hence, I put my hand up to be that better representative. What is an independent candidate? And why do you think that an independent candidate is advantageous for Dubbo? 
an independent candidate is someone who doesn't stand aligned with any of the major parties. So typically we see people standing for the Liberal Party or the National Party or the Labor Party or the Greens or the Shooters and Fishers. So there's a range of parties there that people typically stand for. And as someone standing in that party, you adopt essentially the policies and processes in that party. And to a certain extent, the party mantra has to come first. And we saw a perfect example of that in recent times when the state government, this state government tried to ban greyhound racing from across the state. And there was one particular MP, Katrina Hodgkinson, who was in the, had a position within the government and she was a member of the National Party. And when it came to the actual vote for the, the final ban on greyhounds, she voted against her party, against all the advice of her party. She voted against her party. She believed she needed to stand up for her electorate. And that was more important to her, which I applaud that decision. Unfortunately, the day after she made that vote, she lost any position she had within the National Party because, or any position within the government, because the party must come first. And people are punished, which seems wrong to me, for going against what the party believes. So as an independent, what you can do is you can stand up for what your electorate wants every single time. You've got no party to be honourable to. You've got no party to say, I must support the party. You've got one priority, and that is... 17,352.89 square kilometres in this electorate, 80,000 people that live in this electorate, that's your number one and only priority as an independent. And that means you can represent the electorate and argue or bring your points forward as forcefully as you like to say that this electorate needs to be represented and here's how it needs to be represented, rather than focusing on the party first and the electorate second. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for watching and a huge thank you to Matthew Dickerson for coming in and giving us insight in a local businessman, local government leader and someone aspiring to represent us at the state level. It's been a pleasure.